Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Chapter 12, The Mirror of Erised. Christmas was coming. One morning in mid-December, Hogwarts woke to find itself covered in several feet of snow. The lake froze solid, and the Weasley twins were punished for bewitching several snowballs so that they followed Quirrell around, bouncing off the back of his turban. The few owls that managed to battle their way through the stormy sky to deliver mail had been nursed back to health by Hagrid before they could fly again. No one could wait for the holidays to start. While the Gryffindor common room and the Great Hall had roaring fires, the drafty quarters had become icy and a bitter wind rattled the windows in the classroom. Worst of all were Professor Snape's classes down in the dungeons, where their breath rose in a mist before them and they, and they kept as close as possible to their hot cauldrons. "'I do feel so sorry,' said Draco Malfoy, one potions class." For all those people who have to stay at Hogwarts for Christmas because they're not wanted at home. He was looking over at Harry as he spoke. Crab and Goyle chuckled. Harry, who was, measure, who was measuring out powdered spine of lionfish, ignored him. Malfoy had been even more unpleasant than usual since the Quidditch match. Disgusted that the Slytherins had lost, he had tried to get everyone laughing at how a white... He tried to get everyone laughing at how a wide-mouthed tree frog would be replacing Harry as Seeher next. Then he'd realize that no one found this funny because they were all so impressed at the way Harry had managed to stay on his bucking broomstick. So Malfoy, jealous and angry, had gone back to taunting Harry about having no... He had gone back to taunting Harry about having no proper family. It was true that Harry wasn't going back to Privet Drive for Christmas. Professor McGonagall had come around the week before, making a list of students who would be staying for the holidays, and Harry had signed up for once. At once. He didn't feel sorry for himself at all. This was probably going to be the best Christmas he had ever had. Ron and his brothers were staying too, because Mr. and Mrs. Weasley were visiting Charlie in Romania. When they left the dungeons at the end of potions, they found a large fir tree blocking the corridor ahead. Two enormous feet sticking out at the bottom and a loud puffing sound told them that Hagrid was behind it. Hi, Hagrid. Want any help? Ron said, sticking his head through the branches. Nah, I'm all right. Thanks, Ron. Would you mind moving out of the way? Came Malfoy's cold draw from behind them. Are you trying to earn some extra money, Weasley, hoping you become gamekeeper yourself when you leave Hogwarts? I suppose that the hut of Hagrid's must seem like a palace compared to what your family's used to. Ron dived at Malfoy just as Snape came up the stairs. Weasley! Ron let go of the, and Ron let go of the front of Malfoy's Snape's oh. Ron let go of the front of Malfoy's robes. He was pro- he was provoked, Professor Snape said Hagrid, sticking his huge hairy face from behind the tree. Malfoy is insulting his family. Be that as it may, fighting is against Hogwarts rules, Hagrid, said Snape silkily. Five points from Gryffindor, Weasley, and be grateful it isn't more. Move along, all of you. Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle pushed pushed roughly past the tree, scattered needles, scattering needles, but scattering needles everywhere and smirking i'll get him said ron grinding his teeth behind behind malfoy's back one of these days i'll get him i hate i hate them both said harry malfoy and snape come on cheer up it's nearly christmas tell you what come with me and see the great hall looks like a treat so the three of them then followed hagrid and 
So the three of them then followed Hagrid and his tree off to the Great Hall, where Professor McGonagall and Professor Flitwick were busy with all of the Christmas decorations. Ah, oh, Hagrid, the tree, the last tree. Put it in the far corner, would you? The hall looked spectacular. Festoons of holly and mistletoe hung around the walls, and no less than twelve towering Christmas trees stood around the room, some sparkling with tiny icicles, and some were glittering with hundreds of candles. How many days till you got left until your holidays? Hagrid said. Just one, said Hermione. And that reminds me, Harry, Ron, we've got half hour before lunch. Should we be in the library? We should be in the library. Oh yeah, you're right, said Ron, tearing, tearing his eyes away from Professor Flitwick, who had golden bubbles blossoming, blossoming out of his wand and was trailing them over the branches of a new tree. The library? Just before all the holidays? bit keen, aren't you? Oh, we're not working, Harry told them brightly. Ever since you mentioned Nicholas Vimmel, we have been trying to find out who he was. You what? Listen here, I've told you, drop it. It's nothing to do with the, that guard's, that dog's garden. We just want to know who Nicholas Vimmel is. That's all, said Hermione. Unless you'd like to give us, to tell us and save us the trouble. Harry added, we must have been through hundreds of books already, and we can't find him anywhere. Just give us a hint. I know I've read his name somewhere. I'm not saying nothing, said Hagrid flatly. Just have to find find out for ourselves then, said Ron, and they left Hagrid looking disgruntled and hurried off to the library. They had indeed been look, been searching books for Flamel's name ever since Hagrid had let it slip, because how else were they going to find out what Snape was trying to steal? The trouble was, it was very hard to know where to begin. Not only was Flamel, not only what Flamel might have done to get himself into a book. He wasn't in the greatest wizards of the 20th century or notable magical names for our time. He was missing, too, from important modern magical discoveries and a study of recent developments in wizardry. And then, of course, there was the sheer size of the library. Tens of thousands of books, thousands of shelves, hundreds of narrow rows. Hermione took out a list of subjects and tiles she had decided to search while Ron strode off down a row of books and started pulling them off the shelves at random. Harry wandered over to the restricted section. He had been wondering for a while if Flamel wasn't somewhere in there. Unfortunately, you needed a special signed note from one of the teachers to look in any of the restricted books, and he knew he would never get one. These were the books containing powerful dark magic never taught at Hogwarts and only reader by and only read by older students studying advanced defense against the dark arts. What are you here for, boy? Nothing, said Harry. Madame Pince, the library librarian, bandished a feather duster at him. You better get out then. Go on, out. Wishing he'd been a little bit quicker at thinking up some story, Harry left the library. He, Ron, and Hermione had already agreed that they'd better not ask Madame Pince where they could find Flamel. They were sure she wouldn't be able to tell them. They were sure she would be able to tell them, but they couldn't risk Snape overhearing what they were up to. Harry waited outside the quarter to see if the other two had found anything, but he wasn't very hopeful. They had been looking for about two weeks after all, but 
They had been looking for two weeks, after all, but as they only had odd moments odd moments between lessons, it wasn't surprising that they hadn't found anything. What they really needed was a nice long search without Madame Pince breathing down their necks. Five minutes later, Ron and Hermione joined him, shaking their heads, and they went off to lunch. "'You will keep looking while I'm away, won't you?' said Hermione. "'And send me an owl if you find anything.' "'And you could ask your parents if they know who Nicholas Mamel is,' said Ron. "'It'll be safe to ask them.' "'Very safe, as they're both dentists,' said Hermione. "'Once the holidays had started, Ron and Harry were having too much of a good time to think about Flamel. "'They had the dormitory to themselves, and the common room was far emptier than usual, "'so they were able to get the good armchairs by the fire. "'They sat, they sat by the hour, eating anything that they could spear on, the, on a toasted fork.' They sat by the hour, eating anything they could spear with a toasted fork, bread, English muffins, marshmallows, and plotting ways of getting Malfoy expelled, which were fun to talk about, even if they wouldn't work. Ron also started teaching Harry wizarding chess. This was exactly like as this was exactly like Muggle chess, except that the figures were alive, which made it a lot like which made it a lot like directing troops in a battle. Ron's set was very old and battered. Like everything else he owned, he had once, it had once belonged to someone else in the family. In this case, his grandfather. However, old chessmen weren't a drawback at all. Ron knew them so well, he never had trouble getting them to do what he wanted. Harry played with chessmen. Harry played with the chessmen that Seamus Finnegan had lent him, and they didn't trust him at all. He wasn't a very good player yet, and they kept shouting different bits of advice at him, which was very confusing. Don't send him there. You can't see his night. Send him. We can afford to lose him. On Christmas Eve, Harry went to bed looking forward to the next day for the food and the fun, but not expecting any presents at all. But when he woke early in the morning, however, however the first thing he saw was a pot. Was a s- when he woke early in the morning, however, the first thing he saw was a small pile of packages at the foot of his bed. Merry Christmas, said Ron sleepily as Harry scrambled out of bed and put on his bathrobe. You too. Will you look at this? I've got some presents. What did you expect? Turnips, said Ron, turning his, uh, <laughs> turning his own pile over, which was a lot bigger than Harry's. Harry picked up the top parcel, and it was wrapped in a thick brown paper, and scrawled across it was to Harry from Hagrid. And inside was a roughly cut wooden flute. Hagrid had obviously whittled it down himself, and Harry blew it. It sounded, when Harry blew it, it sounded a bit like an owl. A second, very small parcel contained a note. We received your message and enclosed your Christmas present. From Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia. Taped to the note was a 50-cent piece. That's friendly, Harry said. Ron was fascinated by the 50 pence. Weird. What's the shape? This is money. You can keep it, said Harry, laughing at how pleased Ron was. Haggard and my aunt... And my aunt and uncle, so who who sent these? I think I know who that one's from, said Ron, turning a bit pink and pointing at a very lumpy parcel. My mum, I told her you didn't expect any presents and oh no, she's made you a Weasley sweater. Harry had torn open the parcel to find a thick hand-knitted sweater in emerald green and a large box of homemade fudge. Every year she makes us a sweater and mine's always maroon said Ron, unwrapping his own. That's really nice of her, 
said Harry, trying the fudge, which was very tasty. His next present also contained candy, a large box of chocolate frogs from Hermione. This only left one parcel. Harry picked it up and felt it. It was very light, and he unwrapped it. Something fluid and silvery gray went slithering onto the floor where it lay in gleaming folds. Ron gasped. I've heard of those, he said in a hushed voice, dropping the box of every flavor beans he had gotten from Hermione. If that's what I think it is, they're really rare and really valuable. What is it? Harry picked the shining silvery cloth off of, off of the floor, and it was strange to the touch, like like water woven into material. Harry threw It's an invisibility cloak, said Ron, a look of awe on his face. I'm sure it is. Go on, try it on. Harry threw the cloak around his shoulders, and Ron gave a yell. It is! Look down! Harry looked down at his feet, but they were gone. He dashed into the mirror. Sure enough, his reflection looked back at him. But but it was just his head suspended in midair, and his body was completely invisible. He pulled the cloak over his head, and his reflection vanished completely. There's a note. A note fell out. Harry pulled off the cloak and seized the letter. Written in narrow, loopy writing he had never seen before were the following words. Your father left this in my, my possession before he died, and it is time it was returned to you. Use it well. A very Merry Christmas to you. There was no signature, Harry and Harry stared at the note while Ron was admiring the cloak. I'd give anything for one of these. Anything. What's, what's the matter? Nothing, said Harry. He felt very strange. Who had sent him this cloak? And had it really belonged to his father? Before he could say anything or think anything else, the dormitory door was flung open and Fred and George Weasley bounded in. Harry stuffed the cloak quickly out of sight. He didn't feel like sharing it with anybody else. Merry Christmas. Hey, look, Harry's got a Weasley sweater, too. Fred and George were wearing blue sweaters, one with a large yellow F on it and the other with a G. Harry's is better than ours, though, said Fred, holding up Harry's sweater. She obviously makes m takes more of an effort if you're not in the family. Well, why aren't you wearing yours, Ron? George demanded. Come on, get in it. They're lovely and warm. I hate maroon, Ron moaned half-heartedly as he pulled it up over his head. You haven't got a letter on yours. I suppose she thinks you don't forget your name, but we're not stupid. We know we're called a George and Fred. What's all this noise? Percy Weasley stuck his head through the door, looking disapprovingly. He had clearly gotten halfway through unwrapping his presents as he, too, carried a lumpy sweater over his arm, which Fred seized. P for prefect. Get it on, Percy. Come on. We're all wearing ours. Even Harry got one. I don't want. I don't want, said Percy thickly as the twins forced the sweater over his head, knocking his glasses askew. And you're not sitting with the prefects today, either. Christmas is a time for family, said George. They frog-marched Percy from the room, his arms pinned to his side by his sweater. Harry had never in all of his life had such a Christmas dinner. A hundred fat roasted turkeys, mountains of roast and boiled potatoes, platters of chipolatas, turning terrines of buttered peas, silver boats of thick, rich gravy and cranberry sauce, and stacks of wizard crackers every few feet along the table. These fantastic party favors were nothing like the feeble muggle ones the Dursley usually bought, and with their little plastic toys and their flimsy paper hats inside, 
Harry pulled the a wizard cracker with Harry pulled a wizard cracker with Fred, and it didn't just bang. It went off like a blast of a cannon and engulfed them in a cloud of blue smoke, while from the inside exploded a rear admiral's hat and several live white mice. Up at the high table, Dumbledore had swapped his pointed wizard's hat for a flowered bonnet and was chuckling merrily at a joke Professor Flitwick had just read to him. Flaming Christmas pudding all... Flaming Christmas pudding followed the turkey. Pursley nearly broke his teeth on a silver sickle embedded in a slice, and Harry watched Hagrid getting redder and redder in the face as he called for more wine, finally kissing Professor McGonagall on the cheek, who, at Harry's amazement, giggled and blushed on top her top hat lopsided. When Harry finally left the table, he was laden down with a stack of things out when Harry finally left the table, he was laden down with a stack of things out of the crackers, including a pack of non-explodable luminous balloons, a grow-your-own-warts kit, and a new his own new wizard chess. The white mice had disappeared, and Harry had a nasty feeling that they were going to end up as Mrs. Norris's Christmas dinner. Harry and the Weasleys spent a happy afternoon having a furious snowball fight on the grounds. Then a cold, wet, and gasping for breath, they returned to the fire in the Gryffindor common room, where Harry broke into his new chess set by losing spectacularly to Ron. He suspected he wouldn't have lost so badly if Percy hadn't tried to help him so much. After a meal of turkey sandwiches, crumpets, trifle, and Christmas cake, everyone felt too full and sleepy to do much before bed, except for sit and watch Perry. Percy chased Fred and George all over the Gryffindor Tower because he, they had stolen his prefect badge. It had been Harry's best Christmas yet, yet something had been nagging in the back of his mind. Not only, not until he climbed into bed was he free to think about it. The invisibility cloak and who sent it. Ron, full of turkey and cake, and with nothing mysterious to bother him, fell asleep as almost as soon as he'd drawn the curtains to his four-poster. Harry leaned over the side of his own bed and pulled the cloak out from under it. His father's. This had been his father's. He let the material flow over his hands, smoother than silk, lighter than air. Use it well, the note had said. He had, try- he had to try it now. He slipped out of bed and wrapped the cloak around himself, looking down at his legs, and he only... He only- he saw only moonlight and shadows, and it was a very funny feeling. Use it well. Suddenly, Harry felt wide awake. The whole of Hogwarts was open to him in this cloak. Excitement flooded him as he stood there in the dark and silence. He could go anywhere in this. Anywhere. And Filch would never know. Ron grunted in his sleep. Should Harry wake him? Something held him back. His father's cloak. He had felt that this time... The first time he wanted to use it alone. He crept out of the dormitory, down the stairs, across the common room, and climbed toward the portrait hole. Who's there? squawked the fat lady. Harry said nothing. He walked quickly down the corridor. Where should he go? He stopped, his heart racing, and thought. And then it came to him. The restricted section in the library. He had been able to read as long as he liked, as long as it took to find out who Flamel was. He set off, drawing the invisibility cloak tight around him as he walked. The library was pitch black and very eerie. Harry lit a lamp 
in order to see his way down the rows of books. The lamp looked as if it was floating along in midair, and even Harry could feel his arm supporting it, and, and the sight gave him the creeps. The restricted section was right at the back of the library. Steep, stepping carefully over the rope that separated the books from the rest of the library, he held up his lamp in order to read the titles. They didn't tell him much. Their peeling, faded, gold letters words spelled words in languages Harry couldn't understand. Some had no title at all. One book had a dark stain on it that looked horribly like blood. The hairs on the back of Harry's neck prickled. Maybe he was imagining it. Maybe not, but he thought a faint whispering. He thought he heard a faint whispering coming from one of the books, as though they knew something was there that they shouldn't be. He had to start somewhere. Setting down the lamp carefully on the floor, he looked along the bottom shelf for an interesting-looking book. A large black and silver volume caught his eye. He pulled it out with difficulty because it was very heavy, and bounced it on his knee and left it open. A piercing. Blood-curdling shrieks split the silence, and the book was screaming. Harry snapped it shut, but the screech went on and on in one high, unbroken, ear-splitting note. He stumbled backward and knocked over his lamp, which went out at once. Panicking, he heard footsteps coming down the corridor at once. Stuffing the shrieking book back inside the shelf, he ran for it. He passed Filch on the in the doorway, and Filch's pale wild eyes looked straight through him and harry slipped under filch's outstretched arm and and streaked off up the corridor the book's street shrieks still ringing in his ears he came to a sudden halt in front of the tall suit of armor and he had been so busy getting away from the library he hadn't paid attention to where he was going perhaps because it was dark he didn't recognize where he was at all there was a suit of armor near the kitchens he knew but he must be five floors above there you asked me to come directly to you, Professor, if anyone was wandering around at night and somebody's been in the library. Restricted section. Harry felt the blood drain out of his face. Wherever he was, Filch must know a shortcut because his soft, greasy voice was getting nearer, and to his horror, it was Snape who replied. The restricted section. Well, they can't be far. We will find them. Harry stood rooted to the spot as Filch and Snape came around the corner ahead. They couldn't see him, of course, but it was a narrow corridor, and if they came much close, much nearer, they'd knock right into him, and the cloak didn't stop him from being solid. He backed away as quietly as he could, and a door stood ajar to his left. It was his only hope. He squeezed through it, holding his breath, trying not to move, and to his relief, he managed in to get inside the room without their noticing anything. They walked straight past, and Harry leaned against the wall, breathing deeply, listening to their footsteps die away. That had been close, very close. It was a few seconds before he noticed anything about the room he had hidden in. It, it looks like an unused classroom. The dark shapes of desks and chairs were piled against the walls, and there was a, an un, upturned wastebasket. But propped against the wall facing him was... There was something that didn't look as if it belonged. Something that looked if, as if someone had put it there just to keep out of the way. It was a magnificent mirror, as high as the ceiling, with an ornate gold frame standing on two clawed feet. There was an inscription carved at the top. Erised straw eru oit ub kafru oit on woshi.
His panic faded now that there was no sound of Filch or Snape. Harry moved nearer to the mirror, wanting to look at himself, but seeing no reflection again. He stepped in front of it. He had to clasp his hands around his mouth in order to stop himself from screaming. He whirred around. His heart was pounding far more furiously than when the book had screamed. For he had not seen only himself in the mirror, but a whole crowd of people standing right behind him. But the room, the room was empty. Breathing very fast, he turned slowly back towards the mirror. There he was, reflected on it, white and scared looking, and there reflected back at him were at least ten others. Harry looked over his shoulder, but still no one was there. Or maybe were they all invisible too? Was he in fact in a room full of invisible people and this mirror's sick trick was that it reflected them, invisible or not? He looked at the mirror again. A woman standing right behind a woman standing right behind his reflection was smiling and waving at him. He re reached out a hand and felt the air behind him. If she really was there, he'd touch her. Their reflections were so close together, but he felt only air, and she and the others existed only in the mirror. She was a very pretty woman. She had dark red hair and her eyes. Her eyes are just like mine, Harry thought, edging a little closer to the glass. Bright green, exactly the same shape. But then he noticed that she was crying, smiling, but crying at the same time. And the, and the tall, thin, black-haired man standing next to her put his arm around her. He wore glasses, and his hair was very untidy. It stuck up in the back, just like Harry's did. Harry was so close to the mirror now that his nose was nearly touching that of his reflection. Mom? Dad? He whispered, and they looked at him, smiling. And slowly, Harry took... Harry looked into the faces of the other people in the mirror, and he saw other pairs of green eyes just like his, other noses just like his, even a little old man who looked as though he had Harry's knobby, knobbly knees. Harry was looking at his family for the first time in his life. The potter smiled and waved at Harry as he stared hungrily back at him. His hands pressed flat against the glass as though he was hoping to fall right in it and, and reach them. He had a powerful kind of ache inside of him, half joy and half terrible sadness. How long he stood there, he didn't know, and the reflections did not fade, and he looked and looked until a distant noise brought him back to his senses. He couldn't stay there. He had to find his way back to bed. He tore his eyes away from his mother's face, whispered, I'll come back, and hurried out of the room. You could have woken me up, said Ron crossly. You can come tonight. I'm going back. I want to show you the mirror. I'd like to see I'd like to see your mom and dad, Ron said eagerly. And I want to see all of your family, all the Weasleys. You'll be able to show me all of your brothers and everyone. You can see them any old time, said Ron. Just come around my house this summer. Anyway, maybe it'll show only shows people who are dead. Shame about not finding Flamel though. Have some bacon or something. Why aren't you eating anything? But Harry couldn't eat. He had seen his parents and would be seeing them again tonight. He had almost forgotten about Flamel. It didn't seem very important anymore. Who cared what the three-headed dog was guarding? What did it matter if Snape stole it, really? Are you all right? You look odd, said Ron. What Harry feared most was that he might not be able to find the mirror room again. With Ron covered in the cloak, too, they had walked 
They had to walk much more slowly the next night. They tried retracing Harry's route from the library, wondering if the wondering if the dark passageways wandering the dark passageways for nearly an hour. I'm freezing. Let's forget it and go back. No. I know it's here somewhere. They passed the ghost of a tall witch gliding on the opposite direction, but saw no one else. Just as Ron started moaning that his feet were dead with cold, Harry spotted the suit of armor. It's here, just here, yes. They dropped the door they pushed the door open and Harry dropped the cloak from them and ran to the mirror. They were there. His mother and father beamed at the sight of them. See Harry whispered. I can't see anything. Look, look at them. There are loads of them. I can only see you, Harry. Look in properly. Go ahead, stand where I am. Harry steps aside, but with Ron in front of the mirror, he couldn't see his family anymore. Just Ron in his paisley pajamas. Ron, though, was standing, staring transfixed at his image. Look at me. Can you see all your family standing around you? No, I'm alone. But I'm, I look different. I look older. I'm head boy. What? I am. I'm wearing the badge that Bill used to, and I'm holding the house cup and the Quidditch cup. I'm Quidditch captain, too. Ron tore his eyes away from the splendid sight to look excitedly at Harry. Do you think the mirror shows the future? How can it? All my family are dead. Let me have another look. Oh, you had it to yourself all last night. Give me a bit more time. You're only holding the Quidditch cup. What's interesting about that? I want to see my parents. Don't push me. The sudden noise outside the corridor put an end to their discussion. They hadn't realized how loud they had been talking. Quick! Ron threw the cloak back over them and his luminous eyes, and as the luminous eyes of Mrs. Norris came around the door, Ron and Harry stood quite still, both thinking the same thing. Did the cloak work on cats? After what seemed an age, he turned and she turned and left. This isn't safe. She might have gone to see to get felt. I bet she heard us. Come on. And Ron pulled Harry out of the room. The snow hadn't melted the next morning. Want to play chess, Harry? said Ron. No. Why don't we go down and see Hagrid? No, you can go. I know what you're thinking about, Harry. That mirror. Don't go back tonight. Why not? Well, I don't know. I've just got a bad feeling about it. And anyway, you've had too many close saves already. Filch, Snape, and Mrs. Norris are all wandering around. So what if they can't see you? What if they can walk into you? What if you knock something over? You sound like Hermione. I'm being serious, Harry. Don't go. But Harry had only one thought in his head, which was to get back in front of the mirror, and Ron was not going to stop him. That third night, he found his way more quickly than ever before. He was walking so fast, he knew he was making more noise than wise, but he didn't meet anyone. And there were his mother and his father staring at him again, and one of his grandfathers nodding happily. Harry sank down onto the floor in front of the mirror. There was nothing to stop him from staying there all night with his family. Nothing at all. Except. So, back again, Harry, I see. Harry felt as though his insides had turned to ice. He looked behind him, and sitting on one of the desks by the wall was none other than Albus Dumbledore. Harry must have walked straight past him, so desperate to get to the mirror, he hadn't noticed at all. I I didn't see you, sir. 
Strange how nearsighted being invisible can make you, said Dumbledore, and Harry was so relieved that he was smiling. So, said Dumbledore, slipping off the desk to sit on the floor with Harry. You, like hundreds before, have discovered the delights of the Mirror of Erised. I didn't know that was what it was called, sir. But I expect you realize by now what it does. Well, I, well, it shows my family. And it showed your friend Ron himself as head boy. How did you know? I don't need a cloak to become invisible, said Dumbledore. Now, can you think what the mirror of Erised shows us all? Harry took his head. Let me explain. The happiest man on earth would be able to use the mirror of Erised like any old normal mirror, that is. He would look into it and see exactly as he is. Does that help? Harry thought, and then he said slowly, It shows us what we want, whatever we want. Yes and no said Dumbledore quietly. It shows us nothing more or less than the deepest, most desperate desires of our heart. You, who have never known your family, see them standing around you. Ronald Weasley, who has always been overshadowed by his brothers, sees himself standing alone, the best of them all. However, this mirror will give us neither truth nor knowledge. Men have wasted away before it, entranced by what they have seen, or been driven mad, not knowing if what it shows is real or even possible. The mirror will be moved to a new home tomorrow, Harry, and I ask you not to go looking for it again. If you ever do run across it, you will now be prepared. It does not do does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Remember that. Now, why don't you put on that admirable cloak back on and get off to bed? Harry stood up. Sir, Professor Dumbledore, can I ask you something? Obviously, you've just done so, said Dumbledore as he smiled. You may ask me one more thing, however. What do you see when you look into that mirror? I, I see myself holding a pair of socks. I see myself holding a pair of thick woolen socks. Harry stared. One can never have enough socks, said Dumbledore. Another Christmas has come and gone, and I didn't get a single pair. People will insist on giving me books. It was only when he was back in bed that it struck Harry that Dumbledore might not have been quite truthful. But then, he thought, as he shoved scabbers, scabbers off his pillow, it had been quite a personal question. The end.